G'day, I'll be quick. This is uh, Tofop. Uh, this is an episode that Charlie and I recorded last week, uh, the day of the LA Podcast Festival, before we did a live Tofop at the festival, which was uh, absolutely great fun. And speaking of the live Tofop, you can now watch it on the, well, not the live stream anymore, the archive from the LA Podcast Festival. If you buy the ar- archive, which takes uh, costs $25, uh, we get a $7 kickback, which will help us pay for our airfares and the courtroom artist uh, that is actually in the live episode. And uh, thanks to everyone who did the live episode, Dave Anthony, uh, Gareth Reynolds, Jen Kirkman, um, Stu Goldsmith, Graham Elwood. It was an absolutely uh, fantastic show and we had a really great time uh, doing that. There's lots of stuff that you need to see on video. We will release the episode at some stages as an audio podcast, but there are a lot of things that you want to see uh as video and yes we have a courtroom artist we hired a courtroom artist so uh uh if you could buy a t-shirt at a store merchandise or a poster or you could just uh, uh download the live stream and use the code tofop t-o-f-o-p uh then that would be really handy for us or maybe you can come and see a live show uh i'm in perth the last two nights of the free will tour justin hamilton doing support october 9th and 10th it's going to be absolutely huge come along to that uh there are still tickets available and uh it is almost sold out but my political will shows which i have to massively re right now because of fucking Malcolm Turnbull only me Tony Abbott and Andrew Bolt are sad that uh, Tony Abbott is gone Uh, but I have to rewrite my shows substantially so you can come and see that at Giant Dwarf but it is uh, about uh, three quarters sold out and a lot of the nights are already sold out so if you want to come to Political Wheel you better get on that quickly all right uh, I'll be quick on this one Uh, enjoy this episode and we'll talk to you again soon the following episode of Tofop is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild coarse language. Tofop advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15, or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian, or priest. This is John Deke speaking. There hasn't been any great advances in prison rape or space travel. That's awesome. Is it a gritty reboot? We've been talking about Batman, like usual. <laughs> World Wars Life. It's free, you know. I travelled through time. Totally. Totally. That's sexual. Happy mates. Well, you want a lazy Susan? <laughs> it's a toe fault fact. The father of the and the holy toast. Fire up the fucking flux capacitor. Let's get guns. <laughs> now this is toe fault. <laughs> Everyone relax. This is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Now, here's the thing. I, I, I pointed at you, like, to say, hey, go. Mm-hmm. But then, like, when you said every everyone relax, yeah. like, it, it just clicked over to one. Like, it was on zero to one. So, I don't, like... Should I say that, it again? Well, you may have got everybody relaxed. Maybe it's just one relax. Well, everyone relax. Sorry. Just ev. <laughs> but you might have got everyone relax. Everyone relax. Axe. I don't want people to think it was my bad editing skills. It was my bad pointing skills. Yeah, yeah. Axe. I'm Charlie Clawson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got a new T-shirt. That's all right. Axe. Yeah. Axe. Axe. Oh, because you know that uh, everyone relaxes in our new T-shirt for Podfest. Today mm-hmm. is Podfest Day. Yeah. Uh, we're recording this before we go down to do the live one uh, yeah. as part of the LA Podcast Festival. Yeah. Um, so... You know, this is kind of a pre-podcast. We don't want to peak yeah. in this one. Do you think Muhammad Ali, like before he fought Joe Frazier... Just had another fight? Fight just before. Just with someone else? Yeah, just, just to just, warm up? It just beat up someone really small just to kind of, you know, when there's nothing at stake. Right. Well, well, you know how like there was that thing in the AFL and here's what I've discovered. We don't need to do more AFL talk. But uh, here's in the AFL, uh, Daisy Thomas, who played for Collingwood and then went to Carlton, used to have this tradition where he would have kick to kick with the coach, Mick Malthouse, before the game. Like, so that'd be the equivalent Adorable. of that, right? Yeah. Like Mick Malthouse, it was ex- essentially like his little, uh, you know how um, the best racehorses, some of them have like goats that they hang out with? Mm. Like, so Mick Malthouse was his goat, right? <laughs> hang on, sorry. <laughs> I, was, I was nodding then, but um, I didn't realize that racehorses hang out with goats. Is that a common thing? Yeah, they have best friends who are goats. Why goats? Have you not heard of this before? No. Is this real? Yeah, this is a real thing. <laughs> yeah, okay. Like, apparently, they're like they need companion animals, and the goat is the most compatible with the racehorse. Apparently, how? I mean, I'd love I mean, to I don't know what the, all... the vetting process was. That was like they're like, you know what? We put a lion with a horse. It worked out really badly. Horses and lions don't get along. Well, yeah, we we, we went through a series of crocodiles and horses. In fact, right. any carnivores and horses doesn't work out well. Here's the problem: <laughs> we went in alphabetical order. <laughs> so, <laughs> alligator. <laughs> Aardvark, bear, that was a terrible idea. Cougar, terrible. 
And then we're like, maybe it's not the it's it's the, it's the carnivore. It's the carnivores. <laughs> I didn't know that about that. So the goats. I don't know like if a, it's like a. So is is it like? I know if, it happens with some races. If you're a racehorse and you're like the Vinny, the goat is the turtle. I was going to say yeah. you're the Vinny Chase. Yeah. Ironically, the goat is not a goat. It's a turtle. <laughs> they tried a turtle. Yeah, didn't work out. <laughs> They skip forward for a while. I mean, oh, let's, let's be honest. A racehorse and a turtle will have nothing in common. Right. Nothing. You could not find more two more diametrically opposed do, personalities. Do, 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 do. <laughs> They're the original odd couple. Comedy Central. We're yeah. pitch that and I'll say, can you make it about two women in their early 20s in New York? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> no, but they're different because one's blonde and one's got brown hair. Oh yeah, of course. I get that. We'll get both of, we'll get both of them into the market. Yeah, it'll be fine. How are you feeling about um our uh, uh it's not really our sophomore effort, is it? Because you did a toe fop, or it was more of a faux fop, I guess. At the, at the first LA Podfest. This is the fourth LA Podfest, and I'll tell you my progression through them. I came over the first year, I was a guest on uh, Walking the Room. Yeah. And we were both guests on Walking the Room last night. Uh, but that was my first Podfest, and it was unreal. I had a great time. Uh, I came over the second year, and I did a faux fop live with uh, Rove and Graham Elwood and Dave, uh, which was fun. And then last year, we went and did the first live toe fop there that we had done. Uh, and so this, yes. Yeah, so the, I guess this is our like, yeah. It's our that, so- this is Tofop sophomore. Yeah, exactly. Effort. This is that difficult second it's album. Tofopmore. Tofopmore. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. <laughs> we'll work it out later. Do you think there's a heavy weight of expectation? I mean, we've added some fucking thrills. Yeah, like we've got production. Yeah, we have. We've got we're, production. We're, we're both a little nervous. <laughs> About that, because we can barely fucking add production when it's pre-recorded and there's not a live audience. Now we're trying to integrate pre-recorded segments. But uh, Plus, we saw the 15 minutes at the start of Walking the Room last night when nothing involved with the production of the festival worked in any way, so... Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like a good way... It was a good... You know what we call that? Reality check. Yeah. You know, it's like in Rocky... Four, mm-hmm. when Apollo Creed fights Ivan Drago and Apollo Creed's all cocky in his dancing stuff and then Drago kills him and Rocky's like, oh shit, I've got to take this a bit more seriously. <laughs> the first thing I did when I got home last night after we did walk in the room was like, I needed some contingencies. <laughs> so all the pre-recorded stuff I've actually handwritten out that we can read live on stage if for some reason we have technical failures. Uh, by the way, we haven't really made enough of a big deal about this, but uh, today... Uh, again, in a ridiculous tofop uh, flight of fancy, our show will not only see. Here's the thing: last night, some people might have been trying to watch Walking the Room on uh, on the live stream, and because of some issue with the website, the live stream went down. Everything's been hard drived. If you pay for the live stream, you'll be able to watch all those shows back and all that sort of stuff. But uh, the live stream did go down last night. There was right? a stream. There will be a stream, just not live for yeah. that part of the, the of the festival. Or they will develop time travel in association with Audible. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, okay. So they periscope some of it. They try to get it out there the best they can and people seem to have been okay-ish with that. Okay, right? I <laughs> know, um, but I mean, I think people get, okay. Well, yeah. look, you know, we listen to these guys' podcasts. They can barely fucking record them most of the time. Yeah, yeah. Turns out it wasn't meeting of fucking geniuses. If it was like the Apple, if it was Apple's, if it was launch, the Apple's yeah. launch or I think whatever, people would be more rightfully aggrieved. Right, but they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. sounds. I like- think people were just happy that no. the festival like got like started. <laughs> they're like, oh well, fuck. At least there's actually people there. They're, they're trying. At least God bless them. <laughs> God bless them. God bless them. <laughs> like it's a podcast festival. It's one rung below actual anything. <laughs> <laughs> anything, any definable thing. You know what? You, you, some of it's working. That's all we really expected Good as a podcast audience. Yeah. <laughs> podcast audiences. Some of it worked. <laughs> podcast audiences, lower your expectations yep. and then lower them again. Then lower them again. <laughs> then pause to lower them again. Um, so anyway, uh, here's the thing. We have a backup plan. Yeah. Because what we're doing this afternoon, in what I believe is probably Tofop yet again making podcasting history. Mm. I don't want to overstate, you know, that when they look back at us, at the steps we made forward, but I yeah. think probably the first podcast ever to have a live stenographer on stage yeah. during a performance. Yeah. And tonight, I'm just going to f- say probably the first podcast ever to have their live LA podcast festival uh, sketch by courtroom artist. <laughs>
I mean, I've actually. How can we be making so much history in a row? That's just, what I'm saying. What, what I want to know. We're is, on a streak, man. Why did we? I can't even remember how we came up with it. What was Tofop? I can't remember how we came up with it. <laughs> <laughs> like it's almost like that that uh, that fable about the the guy who made the, the cobbler who made the shoes and he would leave the shoes out. Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> He would wake up in the morning and the fairies would come and assemble the shoes. I feel like sometimes we record a podcast, I go to bed, then I wake up and people on Twitter are saying, oh, guys, I can't wait for you to get that courtroom artist. And I'm like, what? Did we? What happened? Uh, did we say that? <laughs> okay, well, I, I guess we've got to make it happen. For all I know, I might have just fucking like dementia and people are just taking advantage of me going, oh, yeah, Charlie, uh, you said on the podcast, you guys are going to get a courtroom artist. I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> Our audience is getting together and doing the equivalent of what the kids would do to get out of a test at school. You know how you think you could get that one by your teacher beforehand? You'd be like, if we all oh, if it's a pretend that teacher. we're surprised. No, even oh. with your regular teacher, you would try to like do the double psych. Did you not ever uh, try to explain, do that? Explain to me the scenario. Okay. All right, you've got a test. Yeah. And you haven't studied for the test. Yeah. And you also, a majority of the room probably haven't studied for the test. Some people have studied for the test, right? This yeah. is the, and this is where the danger happens in this plan. But you decide that your best effort in this situation is to convince the teacher that they didn't tell you that it was going to be a test that day, right? This, I've never heard of this. And this Have you never ridiculous. heard of this? No, because it's ridiculous. Like I've No, because all you've got to do is, is convince everybody in the room that when the teacher says, are I you ready for test. that test? If everyone's surprised and if everyone sticks with the plan, the teacher starts to doubt themselves. Anyone would doubt themselves in that situation if there's 100% of everyone just suddenly being surprised, right? Not if you're a teacher... And 30 snot-nosed 14-year-olds are saying, you never told us about the test, sir. I'd be like, fuck you. I told you about the test. I'm not believing anything that's coming out of your mouth. Is your forked tongues? Well, maybe what? Because you've never experienced this scenario. So maybe the teacher had never experienced the scenario. Maybe I was a revolutionary in that sense, the way I was thinking about it. I guess it depends on who the person is selling the lie. Like, I think... I think in my school, because, you know, probably most schools, students are constantly testing teachers, no pun intended, mm. but... Surprise tests. If there, tests. Was, if there was something like that, it would have to be a fairly... It'd have to be... Did you have any more backup than just you never told us? Did you document it while you'd like show a diary and say, look, sir, no. nothing written in for Friday? No, you don't want too much information. Okay, you don't want to... All right. You can't get 20 because people. Then they start verifying. Oh, then they just split us off into separate groups. Someone's fallen apart. Oh, yeah, yeah you right. Know? That's right. The kid who fucking studied. It just has to be quick shock. Yeah, yeah. Can we do it tomorrow or whatever the... The only know. thing... The, I, I never did that. I Because I don't think I could rely on my class. I did fake... I don't think it ever some, worked, by sudden, the way, but sudden, I tried it a couple of times. Sudden stomach pains. I did get out of a couple of tests by, oh, God, I have to go to the sick bay. Like, suddenly I developed, like, uh, stomach cancer or something like that. Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, but again, teachers must know that. Of course, but they can't ignore you in case you genuinely are having an appendicitis or something. So if, yeah, you say, okay. if you're doubled up in pain, it's probably my first ever acting role when I think about it. I distinctly remember in year 10 turning up on Monday and having maths first period and realising it that I hadn't studied for this test, just completely forgot about it. And so as I walked into the door, I, I braced myself against the door frame, oh, you know, and then someone said, you okay? I'm like, yeah, you know, and shook it off and then sat down and just like really took in deep breaths and stuff and tried to sort of look as pale and sweet as possible. And then when the teacher finally, he probably knew, but when he finally said, are you okay, Mr. Clawson? I was like, I said, I think I'm, I think I'm going to be sick. I, I don't know what it is. And so it's like, go see the nurse. And I'm like, fucking thank God. Miracle recovery two periods later when I got to drama, which I wanted to go to. <laughs> Ironically, recovered from your acting to get to your acting class. <laughs> Did you, were you ever much of a sicky puller? Uh, At school? No, nah, not really. Oh, For well, our American listeners, a sicky puller. <laughs> to pull a sicky is to play hooky. Yeah. Uh, so... I would get off school whenever I wanted to. My mum would just kind of let me if I... Yeah, my mum did that too. Yeah, I was like, I mean, school for me, and in retrospect, like, because I don't consider myself to be, uh, you know, a necessarily a, a you know, brilliantly smart person, but I do understand that, like, I have a ca capacity for comprehension. So if you explain something to me, I can get the gist of it well enough to kind of, you know, 
Unless that thing is, this is how you record, edit, and upload a podcast. Well, what I'm saying is, very much this is a good example. Like, I have the gist of this. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not your expert to go to in that situation, and I never am on pretty much any topic. You even We even talked about it recently about footy teams. Like, I love my footy team, and I can, like, wax lyrical about their story and my support for it. But if you ask me what number is blah, 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 that's not information I have in my head. But But, you know, that's everyone. Because the human brain is built from an evolutionary design to recognize patterns because it's harder to remember details. We can all recognize patterns. That's how we know where the water supply is. That's how we know when bad weather's coming is because we look at patterns and go, okay, I see that this leads to this outcome. It's the way we sort of survive. But learning specific details such as, well, the temperature has dropped to 27 degrees or blah, 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 that's not what our brains are designed to do. That requires like intense focus. So most people are pattern learners. They're not detailed learners unless they're, you know, uh, geniuses or, or, or some right. levels of autism. And I think that um, with my job, like I, 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 it's very hard to describe, but I often say that it's like just you can – I can be sitting backstage and kind of know how the night's going to go because you just develop a sense through the nature of the fact that that is my work every day is you develop a sense of what people are like or how a scenario is going to play out or, you know, you just kind of start to be a bit more instinctive about that. And then so you start to see those patterns in life and you just start to kind of – but I'm not any great expert in anything. Well, I'm really not. Like I'm not an expert. You wouldn't even say in politics? No, I didn't. No, no, I'm not a guy who can tell you. um, You always explain politics to me. Oh No, well, here's what I can do. I can explain like – in a practical sense, what's going on. But if you told me what years was Whitlam right. prime minister for, no fucking idea. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's not information that, like, you know, I kind I'm of... stuck in your long-term right. memory. Yeah. So I just have a sense of Adam Spencer, who I used to do radio with, described me once, which I was kind of a bit cruel. <laughs> but he said, we'll know three things about everything, that, but no more than three things about anything, <laughs> which is a bit mean. But it, I... He was kind of also paying, paying a compliment, which is like, I have a generalist sense of knowledge. Yeah. So here's what school is. Boring when you have that sort of like approach to it. Because I was good enough at everything to be getting by well at mm. everything, but you don't really engage in anything into that extra level. Mm. So my mum would like let me have days off to go and play in a mixed netball team during the yeah. day and stuff like that. And if I just didn't want to go to school or whatever, she'd let me wear my tracksuit to school. You weren't, wear, you weren't meant to... Um, uh, you're only meant to wear your school tracksuit if you were um, about to go, go like, play sport. Go and play sport, yeah, like yeah. it was in the next two periods. Yeah. And so basically, I for my entire year twelve wore my school tracksuit to school, and my mum just let me, <laughs> and I would just tell them I had PE. Like literally, the quote, you know, when they put a quote under your thing at the end of high school, yeah. mine was what uniform? <laughs> because <laughs> I had spent an entire year, much like I do now, wearing my tracksuit pants publicly. I uh, in my last year of high school, and when I went to school in Melbourne. We just, yeah, let's pause. Sorry, we're back. That was a unexpected phone call. Very unprofessional of me. Who would have thought that Tofop behaved in a manner that was less than exemplary? Well, here's the thing, Charlie. If you worked in a radio station, slab yeah. a beer. Slab a beer if you leave your mobile Same phone on. film on. set, mate. Is that right? Yeah, phone rings during a take. Slab a beer. Slab a beer. Yeah. Which, although I must admit, I've noticed, especially in Home and Away, that rule has relaxed. Because there used to be a, a rule of no phones on set, just in general. But... That's impossible these days. Everyone has their phones. And those crew, they work like fucking 14 hours. Like you can't ask them not to like text their family or check their emails and stuff when they're in studio for 14 hours. My favorite is at Gruen, we explain to the audience that they need to turn their phones off. Like, yeah. uh, and the reason they need to turn their phones off, and it's only an hour and a half that we've got them in there, is that like if you have your phone on, it actually can affect the some of the recording equipment in the studio. Is that true? I've always wondered about that. Look, to be honest, most of the time, no. Like, as in most, it's like flights. Mm. Like, most of the time, it does not matter if your phone's on or whatever. Like, but you can in- interfere. And so they kind of say it for the rare occasion that, like, it actually happens. Well, when right? I used to work at Triple J, like, when I'd do those little segments on Mel's show and Charlie's show, I'm pretty sure the rule was you couldn't take a phone into the studio. Yeah, Is these right? days they let you take your phones into the studio. But was that right? Because you'd hear that click, click, click on the microphone? Or am I imagining that? No, I think, uh, I don't know. Like, I mean, technology has advanced a lot. So yeah. it maybe just has got to a um, point where... Yeah, if there's anyone under like 20 listening to us talk about this, it's like, shut up, old man. Right, but the thing that's interesting to me about the um, the phone thing is like, even though we tell people that it grew on, people still get on their phones. Mm. 
And like we've told you that it might affect the actual program that you're here to watch us make. Mm. And people still can't keep off of their phones. Do people try and take photographs during the show? No, no. It's mostly just people checking their Twitter or whatever or their messages or their Instagram or fucking Snapchat or like Tinder or whatever people are into. We're getting very um, Pavlovian, aren't we, as a species where you hear that ding and it's like you have to check it straight away. Like Sam Cav uh, on my other podcast made this good point about – Sam Kavana. Yeah, Sam Kavana. Um, about checking emails and what a ridiculous concept that is because if you read an, if you're checking an email it means you don't have time to respond so why bother checking it why don't you just find a time in which you have the time to respond to emails and then write back to them but this kind of compulsive I'm at the lights oh I've got an email from this person can't do anything about it so you know oh I'm at the next set of lights I'm going to check in and see if there's another email and I was like that's actually quite true it's amazing how much you can curate your own world I made a decision uh, at the start of this Gruen season for a myriad of reasons that I won't bother explaining now but just for a bunch of reasons I decided that I would not read uh, I wouldn't go on the internet when the show was on and I would not uh, I just let all the feedback to the show that naturally I might just stumble upon like uh, dissipate before I went on to the internet and stuff again so I wouldn't just stumble across feedback about the show because for a myriad of reasons again but one of the things I want to do is make this show without that you know kind of whether it's positive or negative that external feedback being something that influences the way that I'm making the show yeah and so I've just made it as a as a general rule mm. and it's just amazing then that you don't like occasionally you know, still something comes across your thing where somebody mentions something or references something or like you know you, you're in a meeting and someone's like did you see what blah 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 mm. and I was like no I didn't and I'm fine with that mm. and it's amazing how much you can just literally curate your own world like Sam yeah. was saying you can go I'll answer my emails when I'm in a place where I can answer those emails. Yeah. Well, my uh, the the psychologist I've been seeing talks about how, uh, you know, in terms of like being more mindful and present and not sort of constantly obsessed with like you know future thoughts, which brings on anxiety. She has a rule where there's, doesn't check her phone within the first hour of waking up, so she just gets ready for a day, makes breakfast, exercises, whatever it is, and then she'll check her emails. Then she has three checkpoints through the day for social media and emails, but the rest of that time is just living life and being normal and i guess you know because her job is engaging with people she can't be fucking distracted or checking a phone <laughs> imagine that you're like my father never loved me thing <laughs> and then she's just like scrolling through instagram uh-huh. uh-huh uh yeah yeah but it makes a lot of sense to me so i've been trying to implement that it's, it definitely helped me with the not um checking em- uh, not checking my phone before i go to sleep because i found that used to give me a, a quiet i never had a i wouldn't have a nice gentle ease into sleep what i'm doing now is reading instead because i used to love reading at night but i stopped because Gemma doesn't read read that much and you know when you sleep share a bed with someone to have a light on is kind of inconsiderate but Gemma's away at the moment so i'm reading and that's i found that gives me a much like a much nicer uh entree i like the idea of Gemma getting really jealous about that the book like there's been a book in this bed (laughs) i smell paper Is that ink on your fingers? <laughs> we experimented for a while with one of those itty bitty lights, the ones you clip to your book so she could sleep while I could read, but uh, it was just like, this is fucked. I even at one stage held a torch in my teeth because <laughs> I found the itty bitty the itty bitty light was not giving me enough light. Like it was giving me a spotlight on certain words. So you had a torch in, in your my teeth? teeth. Yeah. Straight in the pages. <laughs> Trying to do the work and it's like, fuck. So then... Well, don't you also now wear a mouth guard to bed for your teeth? Yeah, but I don't put that until I'm... No, but what they need to do is come up with something you can buy those two. So it's got like a hole, like a torch-shaped hole that you can just insert. Yeah. (laughs) Like a a blow-up doll. Like a fleshlight, but with like an actual light in it. That's a... Fleshlights that actually have lights in it. (laughs) Right. Fucking genius. Can I fuck it? No, but you can find your way in the dark. So it's a torch. <laughs> or what about a flashlight, but with an audible book in it? So when you fuck it, you have to fuck it to get the, the book talking. <laughs> so you're getting your reading done and you're... Uh, clearing up your... Uh, <laughs> uh, getting your prostate working or... It's getting people back to reading. Yeah. You know fuck I mean? it, yeah be like, if you could fuck a book, right. you get a lot more people reading again. Oh man, sorry. I, like, I'm a bit weary this morning. I was up all night fucking The Great Gatsby. <laughs> do you ever read anything on your iPad? Like do you download books no, or never. comics? I don't even have, really have an iPad anymore. Oh, okay. Well, I, here's the thing. Once I got my iPhone 6 Plus, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, this is like 
a, a this mini iPad. Do. This is yeah. a mini, mini iPad. If I'm not on my computer, which I am most of the time anyway, I mostly use my like, you know, I'm, I'm trying with my phone not to be obsessed with my phone. Mm. I don't really tweet and stuff on my phone much. Like I'll mostly just be that if I'm at my desk and I'm following something or if I want, want to say something. So I'm not really kind of, you know, like strung to the phone, you know, yeah. I, and I, and I like that, but yeah, mostly I'm on my laptop. So I don't really even use the iPad anymore. No, I like book books. Like yeah. I like to be able to carry it around. So you read with a light on, not a torch in your teeth. I don't read in bed. So I don't what's like your, to read before I go to sleep. What do you do? Do you have any kind of like, do you have trouble getting to sleep? Do you have any, I mean, I know your hips hurt you and stuff, but like, do you have any kind of pre sleep? Ritual? I mean, when I was in London, I had a really bad jet lag for two weeks and I could not sleep. It was terrible and it drove me crazy, but it kind of reminded me that most of the time I'm pretty like, I've yeah, I flew over here on Wednesday and I'm flying back tonight mm. to do Gruen. Like this is in between two episodes of Gruen for me mm. and I'll be fine. Like I don't like I sleep enough and not, you know, it won't affect me too much. So yeah. I'll, be, I'll be okay. But you're not a long sleeper, are you? Like you don't. No. Yeah, I'm up. When, and, and I'm that, up when the sun's up. But was that always the case, or is that? Just... I mean, yeah. I think growing up on a farm, right? Like I've had a few things in my life that have reinforced getting up early. Basically, firstly, I had the farm thing where you had to get up early. Yeah. Uh, the second phase, like I think at uni, I slept in and stuff. Uh, but then I did like breakfast radio on Triple J. Oh, like when I was a stand-up comic when I first started, I was like going out all night and sleeping till midday and then getting up and eating cake. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, I remember that. The getting yeah. up and eating cake part was my favorite. Right. Like that was my. <laughs> It's like, a, it's like if it's like the kid from Big. It's <laughs> like the kind of day the kid from Big would have. Well, basically, that's what being you play uh, chopsticks on a fucking giant piano pad, and then go eat some cake for breakfast. The first two years of being a stand-up comedian are like being the kid from Big. Like, because that's really what your life is now. You just go to pubs late at night and drink free beers and hang around with cool people. And you get to like suddenly have sex with all these girls and stuff and like all this like fun stuff. And then in the day, you just hang out with your mates and eat cake. <laughs> <laughs> that Mary Antoinette had it right. I don't know why everyone got so angry about it. Let them eat cake. Fucking about time. Every second Wednesday down in the unemployment office to talk to a nice old lady from the Salvation Army so that I could afford my cake. But... <laughs> But, I mean, I think naturally, if the world's set up in the right way, that despite how fun that is, that you like then move on with your life. Like, it's not like I've ever gone back to that. Yeah. Despite how fondly I remember those days, I still felt like it wasn't something that I wanted to do forever. I think anyone who does that, though, like, I've, I mean, it's so funny how you think it won't happen when you're in your 20s. Like, you look at people, you know, in their 30s and 40s, or you look at your parents. And you're like, that'll never be me. Like, I'll never be that boring and stuff. But it just happens. Like, I just, like, I find the things that I like doing are just so much more kind of like, like, I like going to yoga and I like sort of getting up early, maybe going for like a cliff walk and just nice kind of adult sort of uh, pursuits. Inside me, there is still that child that who wants to get up and eat cake. But there's also this great sense of, oh, I've done that. And I felt like if I was at, still at this age now and living the life I was when I was in my 20s, that's something wrong. Like that has to be classified as a developmental. But uh, weirdly disability. enough, like I, I find it so weird because, like, you know what? When I was getting up early on the farm, like I was a kid and I was getting up to work, and I didn't really want to get up early, but I was getting up early. Uh, then when I was doing breakfast radio, I was getting up because I was doing breakfast yeah, radio, right. right? And that was like five years of that, so that kind of readjusts your body clock to that. And then my hips hurt, so I get up early because so it wakes me up. And once I'm awake, and I'm a real like, once I'm awake, I'm awake. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a person, You're not, a, not a dozer. But here's the thing: like as an adult, like as a 41 year old man who sometimes gets up at six in the morning, I'll sometimes go out the back of my office to do some work and like smoke weed at six o'clock in the like. I, you know, it's not like I have some life that suddenly, you know, requires you to be right. At, uh, an office or right yeah. yeah yeah absolutely it's still kind of you know it, it's the life I, but sometimes it's just i'm up early to do my work and that's how i want to do my work yeah i, I guess that's it You've, basically you have yeah but you're i understand what you're saying like the kind of it, it, it's a similar uh life of self-determination but as your responsibilities have grown and you've matured that has taken a back seat or at least has been amended to a different kind of pursuit, which is more conducive to getting work done. You know what I mean? Like if you were still well, I mean to use 41 obsessing about what cake shop you're going to go to at 10 in the morning. But that's what I mean. But to use that cake analogy, I have never been in a better position to be able to purchase cake <laughs> or to take the time off 
to eat cake. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm doing fine. I could literally say after this series of Gruen that I'm going to take, like, you know, we finish in November and I need to have a new show ready, like, you know, to tour in like late February. I could just say, well, for the next three months, I'm going to write my new show and eat cake. That's going to be my schedule. Every day I'll just get up and I'll find a new place that has a new cake. And for three months, I will eat a different cake every day for lunch. And I'll go for a walk or something in the afternoon so that I'm not like, you know, getting cake body. But like I could, <laughs> I could do that. Like that's something that I could literally do, but I don't. Yeah. Why? Because there have been things in my life that are now important, more important to me than eating cake every day. Yeah. I mean, I think I see it more and more. And we have talked about this before like the idea of of the perpetual adolescent like you know now more than ever this this era that's my version by the way of you looking at people with kids and stuff going i'll never be that mine is uh, like a teenage me looking at an adult me who thinks it's not important to eat cake every day (laughs) that'll never be me cake forever man like who is that sellout (laughs) you're at the tattoo parlor getting a slice of cake tattooed on your bicep that's how much you love eating cake while eating cake on the other hand (laughs) All right, that's it. We're done. See you later. Oh. <laughs> that was the end of that riff. Wasn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Yeah, but I'm an early riser now. Still, yes. When is this episode going up? Oh uh, well, I thought I might keep it for maybe next week because we put two up this week because um, it was coming out at a pub fest. Uh, is it worth uh, talking about uh, Adam Goods and the way he exited the game last week? We can talk about whatever we want to talk about. Um, for those who, who don't know, uh, Adam Goods retired after the Swans lost uh, the sem- uh, second semifinal against North Melbourne. And Adam Goods chose to re- tell his teammates and his coaches that he was retiring after the game was over. Ordinarily, when a great retires it's normally the club likes to put a bit of press around it they'll make an announcement before the game and then there's like a guard of honor and that player is like chaired off and gets all the accolades that they deserve but adam chose not to do that so there was no on-field celebrations it was just a very private thing amongst the swans players and the swans coaches now the thing that struck me about that is when all this criticism of adam was going on at the start of the year one of the things you kept hearing critics of adam good say is he's an attention seeker he's an attention seeker the guy likes nothing more than hearing the sound of his own voice and i'm like okay well, this was his, the last time he was going to appear on a football field. The game he loved, the game he played for 18 years, which he gave his blood, sweat and tears for. And he chose to go off and just celebrate with his close friends and coaches and, and teammates. Fucking Adam Goods making it all about fucking him. That's it though, right? No, nah, fuck him. Because- fuck him. <laughs> no, nah, fuck him. Because you know what? He should have shared that with the fucking fans, but he's too good for his fucking fans to tell them beforehand. Oh, you and know, what he, he, you know why he did Fucking it. showboater. He, the way he did it. He to get the extra attention extra for attention not, doing, for not it. doing it. Yeah. Exactly. Fucking Adam Goods. Is he attention seeking by not att- <laughs> seeking attention? Like, I mean, this is the amazing thing about when somebody argues that in relation to Adam Goods. Look at his history. This is a guy who won two Brownlow medals and wasn't a regular on the fucking footy show. Mm. Like he wasn't attention seeking. Yeah, he hasn't. Like he, he was a, he's never up really until done that a point. Career or anything no, like that. not when he was given a opportunity to speak on behalf of his people and a minority in Australia who are so uh, disconnected from modern day Australian society, yet have been custodians of the land that we live in for sixty thousand years. Like, he was given an opportunity to speak out about that and he spoke out about that. That's what he spoke out about. Not once was he like, how fucking good's goodsy, by the way? (laughs) And and my name is Goods. goods. (laughs) Not once. He didn't have a range of like, goodsy is good or greatsy fucking material. (laughs) Like, can you can imagine another athlete? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If Warwick Kappa was Warwick Goods, he would have been calling himself Warwick Greats. Greats. For certain. Yeah. And then Warwick Greatest. (laughs) Like, of course he would have. He never did. Didn't try to sell a T-shirt off the fucking back of it. Wasn't flogging a book off the back of it. Wasn't trying to put a clinic together or sell some fucking thing that was yeah. all about Adam Good. And I, look, there must be part of him too that, you know, when if he did discuss it with, say, his coach or, you know, his partner or what before the game, there would have been, must have been part of him that's like, you know what, I've had enough attention this year like even if it turns out great and you know everyone cheers me off and whatever 
I don't, I'm sick of it. Like, he'd have to be, right? There would be just an absolute, I mean, I, I hope he has retired feeling loved and feeling like he's one of the greatest players who have played the game, because he is. I would hate to think that he made that decision because he was just tired of having to justify or feel like he has to justify his standing in the game. It's one of those things where he must be, I'm not looking, I think he's smart enough to realise, like, that he is loved and he has been shown a great deal of love by those who love him through this and probably he's more aware of that than he would have been if this had not happened. Mm. Now, I'm not trying to draw a positive at a negative situation, <laughs> but like if there is a positive to be drawn, it's probably meant that a lot of people have spoken out on behalf of Adam Goods who would have not felt the need to unless this thing had arisen. I, I spoke about Justin's stand-up he did at my show and he has his whole piece on this that he's the best stand-up I've ever seen Justin do. And it's because he personally had an opinion on this and was like passionate about it and connected to it. And Justin, I just never would have heard that from Justin. And I never would have. So, like, if I think anything that. Anything good could come out of it. Yeah. And I think that he will. Adam Goods is smart enough to realize that he will walk away very much loved, but he will also walk away very aware of the fact that we are still a divided country when it comes to matters of our relationship with our indigenous people. Yeah. But guess what? That isn't to Adam Goods. A surprise, because that was the whole point he was making the whole time. Literally, by your actions, you fucking backwards dickheads, you have proved the exact point that he was making. I didn't like that he made that point that we are all now making. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what? Fuck off. Yeah. And you know what? People will still, like the other day, like uh, Rowan Connolly, who's a, a brilliant football journalist, and Rowan tweeted on this issue, and he tweets on the issue a lot about the booing of Adam Goods because they were over in the Western Australia, and he was like, um, you know, he tweeted that, again, it was inappropriate that people were booing. And some people have been like, well, they booed Luke Hodge last night because the game the night before, this guy Luke Hodge is the captain of Hawthorne. He'd uh, been busted drink driving, and that night they are all booing him because, you know, like, fair mm-hmm. enough, yeah, right? So I responded to Rowan because I'd seen people responding like that. And I said, no, but they booed, they booed uh, Hodgie and drink driving is the exact same thing as speaking up on behalf of a minority who are like discriminated against at every like. So clearly, and people still would argue with me. No, I boo him because of this. Mm. No, I boo him because of this. Yeah, but like. But you know what? You're giving cover to people who are booing him because of something completely different. Yeah, you made it that that the point of he wasn't trying to create division. No, he was saying there is division. Right. Yet the people who were critics of him were like, "You are being divisive. There is no divide until you decided there was," which is fucking insane. Like it's insane. You can't be like strung up for making an observation that everyone clearly knows is there. Like I don't understand how you can look at literacy rates, mortality rates and say we're all on an even keel. Like statistically, it doesn't make sense. Hey guys, I know that you died 20 years younger than the rest of us, but uh, Adam Goods was Australian of the year. We're even. Yeah, we're even, right? We're even. (laughs) We cool? We cool? White Australia just hands out for a fist bump. We're cool. We're cool, we're right? Cool. We're just, cool. Just tell us we're cool. Yeah. That's all we want to be. I know we've done nothing but pretty much destroy your lives since we got here, but we're cool, right? I mean, it's yeah, it's it's a crazy position that I, I find it. Here's the thing that I always think about this issue is that with a little effort the other way, we could be an inspiring, shining light to the world in the way that we incorporate the mythology and history and influence of our Indigenous people into our world. And we have, look, and just look at our neighbours, look at New Zealand. Right. Look at the relationship they have with their Indigenous people. You know what I mean? It's like, their language is incorporated into the curriculum. Uh, The haka is one of the kind of most celebrated. But they've uh, incorporated that into the mythology of, you know, their whole nation's story. Yeah. In a way that I think we could only improve rather than being, imagine if we were a country that rather than being known for the terrible relationship we have with indigenous people, were one that was able to weave in the beautiful things. I mean, look at their flag compared to our flag and how much more beautiful it is than our flag. Look at the way that they have had a relationship with the, the ground and 
the earth and the thing that has made us so lucky as a country. They have had that relationship from 40 to 60,000 years. We're a country that's always been insecure about a history because it's so fucking short. It's not short. If we incorporate the original people into our story and bring them with us and make them part of our society, like it just... It makes no sense, even in a business way. Like, even if you're a pure... Imagine the... Like, look at how well, like, didgeridoos and boomerangs and stuff sell at airports now. Like, that's the symbols of our country. Imagine if we actually managed to weave that narrative actually purely rather than just a fucking commercial buy a boomerang he's an original person but in a meaningful fucking way to the story of our country mm. how even just in a tourism sense in a sense of being able to like you know ca- like give us a sense of who we are in a way that the world already identifies us mm. anyway i'm running for parliament <laughs> <laughs> But, as he said earlier, is not an expert in politics, so you'll fit right in. <laughs> right. And also, by the way, I'm sure the last thing that the Indigenous people need is another no fucking white, white guy. <laughs> yeah, telling them how... But, yeah, it it's kind of crazy to me. And I think it's just an opportunity that we constantly think, if we could help people... And imagine a country that, instead of having to debate whether we have a black ham, armband look at our history or whether we have to debate that, like... Why can't we just have a country where we could go, yes, some terrible things happen, but we are proud of the way that we are finding our way together now. You Mm. know, like, it just makes no sense to me. Too many people don't want to be told. They don't want thought police, Will. They don't want a bloody nanny state and thought police. That's the thing. You don't don't control my thoughts. My thoughts are my own thoughts. You can have, but you can have your own of thoughts. Of course, you fucking can. That's have the as many of, have as many of your thoughts as you want. You can even say them. Start a podcast. Like, <laughs> yeah. do you know what I mean? Like. This idea that there is some sort of like free speech that is being oppressed or something. Like, even in my industry, comedy, you know, you hear a lot of the fucking whinging fucking comics about, well, you know, I, I got in trouble because somebody didn't like my joke, whereas I, as a white man, used the N word in relation to my rape joke. <laughs> like, and I'm like, there's a, a clip in the TOEFOP uh, opening uh, that has the prison rape reference in it. And over the years, we put it in and out. And it's always been one of those things that I've like kind of debated. And like, I feel like because, you know, like I, I can understand sensitivities around that word. And like, you know, even in that evolution of where we were in the podcast, I think we're at a place now where like the things that we thought were hilarious, <laughs> we've kind of got a different perspective on. Yeah. But at the same time, that quote, to me, isn't about any of those things. That quote is just a ridiculous, like, quote that, like, is was just like... It says of, more about the narrow view of our conversation topics right. than anything. And I think that I kind of like that the perspective even on that quote has changed, whereas, like, now it's kind of a symbol of, I oh, remember what we were that we are not anymore. Yeah. And I and I kind of like that. So I don't think there should be any... But here's the thing that I we're would not say. History. If somebody challenged me on that, because that is part of our history. Mm. Like, there's actually something that I found that was a little bit more gutless about, like, almost, like, taking it out. Yeah. Because at the while, we were like, we'll take it out. Because, yeah. you know, the thing is, like, I understand that people, like, there's been some, like, feedback. And I, like, I, I totally agree and understand the feedback. It was like a guy the other day gave me feedback. And I couldn't even really remember when this would have been. But... I assumed that if he was saying it was true, then I was happy to accept that it was true. Mm. He said, sometimes you and Charlie make fun of people with speech impediments on the podcast. And I was like, I can't actually remember when that would have been, but maybe if we have, like just accidentally or whatever, he said, I've got a speech impediment and here's my story and whatever. And I was like, that's totally valid feedback. Like, I can't remember doing it and I bet we wouldn't have done it <laughs> as like, I've never known Charlie and I as like, we started this podcast, so we can really stick it really, to the people yeah, with yeah. a stammer there was or a guy, There was a guy at the study who used to beat me up at yeah. high school and now so, this is my revenge. This is my payback. Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't think that either of us are in a position to criticise anybody's the speech patterns. No way. <laughs> Fucking hell. Like every acting job I've ever had, they've, they've, they've asked me if I'd go see a speech pathologist because I mumble so much. Right. So, But if we have, and like, in that person's probably more sensitive to recognising it, yeah. Like I think that's a fair thing and like it'll just now be in my mind that if we ever stumbled into there I'll have like a flag in my head going, Oh, this is Well, you know what it is it's, that it's all context, right? Like right. it's all context. If Okay, so but this is my whole point was 
I think that we need to live in a situation where if you want to use the N-word in a joke or if you want to talk about rape or if you want to whatever, you need to be in a position where you know what you're saying and what your justification is and what, like, you know, just as I've just explained then what my thinking is. Yeah. Right. And is the... Uh, and if somebody says to me now, blah, 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 I will be able to say to them, okay, I've thought through this and I've taken all this into account and I feel like for these reasons, this is the decision. I understand it's not without its you know, problems or whatever. Because this is my thing that I think about a lot is that so many decisions or everything that's kind of like done or made or whatever, there's a bunch of different ways it could have gone. And sometimes you're just like taking a least worse option over another option or whatever it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realise. Were you expecting a return? A return volley? Well, uh, I just thought I'd been talking for a while. No, so it yeah. might be your turn. Well, then we can, we can switch subjects because there's something I wanted to talk to you about. Okay, good. Uh, um, airplane movie. Um, airplane food? Airplane movie. It's terrible. <laughs> Dogs and cats are so different. <laughs> um, um, while you do this, I'm just going to get a beer, but like, uh, you can start. Okay, well, I'll, I'll give the intro because I believe you've talked about this film already on another podcast, but... I chose to watch Terminator Jenny Cease on the plane. And to be honest, I thought it was actually not a bad plane film in terms of like looking at a tiny screen and something I could tune in and out of. But they got it so wrong. And the film makes so little sense. And there's just one thing that, because I often miss, I know you're not detail oriented either, but explain to me this, right? So. Uh, Kyle Reese gets sent to 1984 to protect Sarah Connor like he thought he would in the original film. Uh, if you want to hear me do an entire episode about this, I did a spoiler app on the Comedy Film Nerds podcast uh, where we talked about it exclusively. And I want to say, I should give a set up to this as well and explain, which I did not explain then because they don't need to know, but um, that Amy and I, she was over here in LA and we went to watch it together. Yeah. And halfway through like i had to watch it because we were talking about it on comedy film nerds yeah. the next day and halfway through she left the cinema and then just went and hung out outside by herself because to her that was better than continuing to watch the rest of the film i could understand that if i had paid cash money to see that film i would feel rightfully aggrieved but like I said, free film on a small TV where I'm distracted doing other things, it's fine. But I thought the first kind of 30 minutes was fun. Like I loved all that like flashback. It was fun the- seeing Arnie back doing that and a young Arnie fighting old Arnie and stuff. But um, to quickly sum up, so what happens in this film is they basically recreate the timeline of Terminator starting with the first film. And so when Reese goes back to save Sarah Connor, instead of finding a helpless waitress, he finds that a Terminator has been sent back 20 years before that and has been raising Sarah. So by the time he gets to her in 1984, she's a fucking badass and she's ready to take down Skynet, right? And she's Khaleesi. And she's hot. <laughs> I love her. I've got such a crush on her. She's Khaleesi, but with like a different color hair. hair. Yeah. Khaleesi with a gun. Yeah. Um, but so what happens is, so it, they get to 1984, uh, Reese realizes there's this new timeline and they're trying to work out, okay, how do we stop uh, the, the advance of Skynet? And so Reese talks them into going into 1997 because there will be this new system called Jenny Sis in this new timeline, yep. which is actually Skynet, right? What? <laughs> Wasn't that one of those things where you're just like, yeah. Yeah, that's like, not. Oh, wow. A huge this twist. was a big reveal? Yeah, yeah. The thing that everybody <laughs> knew from the very, <laughs> like there's two twists in this that are two of the more obvious fucking that twists. That were in the fucking in, trailer. Right. So- what I need to ask you is if they're in 1984 yes. and they're, she's, been, she's known about Skynet since the 70s. She's grown up her entire life knowing yes. about Skynet. Why do they need to jump forward to 1997 to prevent Skynet? They have 13 years lead up to fucking identify all the people involved with Skynet, to destroy the software, to hang out with Miles Dyson and get him high and, and dissuade him from a life of computer science, you know, get him into reggae or something like that. Right. Why did they have to jump forward and fuck everything up? Like, it's, it the, seems like- it's the when would you kill Hitler scenario. Yeah. Like there's no like there's no perfect time. You can't kill him when he's a baby. But he's done nothing wrong. My risk. I mean, and they travel through time in this homemade time machine yep. in which they're like worried that they might die. And I'm like, 
but it, it's not going to happen for 13. You have 13 years in which, and 13 years and a supercomputer from the future, you can fucking devise the perfect way to ensure that Skynet never happens. Let's go to a place where we understand nothing. Nothing. <laughs> like, let's just change our circumstances so dramatically and we get a rest like it was the Space worst. jump. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. It was fucking theatre sports and a space jump and suddenly it's 1997. But, but not and a, it's 1997. It was just... It just No one told me life was going to be this way. <laughs> Ace of base are riding the top of the charts. It made no fucking sense. Like, in time travel, the way you affect future events from happening is to go back in time. They went just a little bit further in time, yeah. not quite all the way. It's uh. like... It didn't make any fucking sense. Well, and so that was, and that's the end of the first act. So yeah. once that happened, I'm like, well, the rest of the film, the whole time I'm just going to be thinking, you could have fixed this in 1984 when you had 13 years to fucking plan for it. Right. It's not Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. No. You're not, you know, like, leave the keys. You're right. <laughs> by Scott. You know, they could have done that. I would have respected the film more if in 1984 they said, well, look, we know that Skynet, the office buildings are going to be built on this location. So we'll just go bury some keys next to a tree. And that way we don't have to fucking smash a truck through the glass windows. We can just go get the keys and let ourselves in. Oh, it was one of those films, even like early on, you know, when Matt Smith, Doctor Who is the original. Oh, yeah, like- so Matt Smith gets billing in it and he's fucking barely in the film. Right. So, you know, in that initial scene, when he's the only recognizable actor in that scene, you're like, oh, yeah, I see what's about to go on here. <laughs> Also, talking about time travel, and I won't do too many, like, if people haven't seen it, I won't do spoilers because there is some, like, reveals in it. But at the end, there is a scene where um, uh, Kyle goes up to young Kyle. Yeah. Right? And essentially just gives him the information that is, like, the important information earlier in the film. The Genesis is Skynet. Right. Like, he literally just is like... Remember this, kid. Remember this. Like, the, the whole reason that I've got to this point is because sometime in the future, I will tell young me this, so I'll remember it in As this thing that has already... Adult. It hasn't even happened yet. Like... Yeah. Like, A, that's... Yeah, it's it, not meant to happen. Right? Like, but, but the reason, like, he gets... They win. They win. Spoilers. The reason they win is that he remembers this thing that he's told himself, but he hasn't actually even told himself that thing yet. No, that's right. So hang on, but how does it work? But then so also, is that, is that presupposing that so the war, the Judgment Day is going to happen regardless? But by old Reese telling young Reese that Genesis is Skynet, that he will then be able to know that when he goes. I, I don't. I don't understand. Where, where, where is that? Why is that information useful? That right. Well, we Reese, remember in this film, the old Reese. Yeah. Like remembers being told, but that he, he only remembers that when he goes back in time because a new timeline is formed. Right. <laughs> This is where, like, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no, but it, my favourite bit is then he just wanders off and they've got no time machine, remember? The time machine's broken. Oh, yeah, so so he's, he's just living out. in a world where he's also a young kid growing up in that world. The fuck is going on with that? That's the end of the movie. Like, they're just stuck in that world with them who are also in that world, just as younger people. Like, yeah, that's yeah. literally the end, right? Yeah, yeah. And not only Which that, makes... But- that's gonna fuck shit up. What are you doing? But, That's not an end. But they have to. But they have to have a baby now too, right? To be. Yeah, but John not now. Cooper. They can't have a baby now. They have to have a baby back in time, right? Oh, to be the right age, right? Yeah, because otherwise the leader of the resistance will be so, eight years old. Yeah, so forward in time. They have to go. For- I don't even. Oh, yeah, see, <laughs> this is the thing. The timelines actually make no sense at all. Because the other right. thing too is that you now have adult Reese, who is alive at the same time. As young Reese. Right. So by the time Judgment Day happens and the War on the Machines, is adult Reese and young Reese going to be fighting side by side? Gonna, yeah. Like for forever? Like, or does one of them disappear into. I don't get it. There's a lot of problems with this film. Yeah. It really, it really felt like. I mean, did you see that video James Cameron recorded before it came out? Like a little. I don't know how much money they did. Uh, this was when he set. said it was the best one. The since. best film since Judgment yep. Day, Terminator 2, and that really captured the spirit. A. Total slap in the face to the other, like, you know, McGee's and the other guy. Joel well, the whole movie was. Like, do you notice when they did the flashbacks, it was really just stuff from the first yeah, and the yeah, second yeah. one. There yeah. was like, they were even like, we're ignoring these other ones. Yeah. Got to have them as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was the other thing. Because it got me thinking about, so the evolution of the Terminators, right? They probably only showed him the bit, the James Cameron bits. 
Hey? The bits they use. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Like, yeah, and he's like, okay. James watched the first like 10 minutes and went, this, this is, is good. Great. Oh, the young auntie front like yelled at it. This is yeah. really good. So you've got the evolution of the Terminators. They keep improving the models in order to get more efficient killers. Yeah. So you start off with the T-800, which is the Arnie model. Yeah. Then you get the T-1000, which is a liquid metal model. Then in the third one, you get sexy girl robot. Yeah. <laughs> it seems to be like, it's kind of like the iPhone 5. Where everyone's like, this is actually not Doesn't better do than anything the iPhone better, 4. But it, gee, it looks better. <laughs> <laughs> and so then by the like time- these curved edges. By the time you get to Genesis, yeah. they're like, let's just go back to the T-1000 as being like, you know, the ultimate Terminator technology. I mean, that must have been hard. Like they thought up such a great villain in T2 when it came to writing the third one. They're maybe, like, maybe oh, it, can we put a wig on it? Maybe you know what, maybe it is a bit like phones though. Cause you know how they're saying with phones now that there's going to be just a natural level of like, they got so awesome so quick that they can't actually keep getting as awesome every time as because there was a lot of stuff that was in that initial bit to right. awesome. Okay. But then like, now you know, now, you're, now with plus it's smaller increments of yeah. things that you can like improve right yeah so that was the from the 800 t800 to the right. 1000 was like iphone it really was to... them just coming out with the one this one's in gold <laughs> that was like a lady one they were like it's the same one but it's in a lady and so here's my <laughs> other question for you and this is a spoiler yeah so if you don't want to know how the film ends turn off now okay so at the end of the film you think arnie's dead the mm-hmm. t800 but he comes back and he'll be back. He's yeah, yeah, like he promised, <laughs> like he promised. But he uh, has somehow he's fell into a vat of magical goo. I don't yeah. know what it is. Magic goo. And now he's a T one thousand. He's yeah. been upgraded to a T one thousand. So here's my question: uh-huh. If you are the T one thousand now and you can have the ability to look like anything, why do you want to look like old wrinkly Arnie? <laughs> wouldn't you want to like? Wouldn't you want to just like revert to kind of back to fucking young eighties tough guy Arnie? Yes. <laughs> I was trying to think of some reason, but familiarity, maybe you live so. so long in that body that you just kind of, that's how you feel most natural. He, it's like, I know that I'm I look- comfortable be- in my body. Well, you know what? Like I wear a suit for Gruen yeah. and I get nothing but compliments when I'm wearing a suit. I wear tracksuit pants the rest of my life and I never have once ever got a compliment <laughs> on my tracksuit pants. And maybe that's what it's like with the Terminator body. Yeah, sure, the new body would like look better and be more efficient and whatever, but it's just not comfortable. Yeah. Maybe sometimes you're just like, I'm used to this one. This is like, this makes, this suits my body. Yeah, you yeah. Know? It probably, there is probably some kind of protocol too, which is like, you need to keep Sarah on side. She has affection for right. the old Absolutely. Terminator. Uh, I do. He's probably got ID. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's the other thing doesn't too. Want, doesn't want to go down the there DMV. Was, there, was, like. there was one line in it which just made me laugh so much where they arrive at Skynet, Reese and Sarah and uh, Arnie arrive at Skynet and you know he's walking them through to get to the area they need to go to and he knows all the passcodes and shit like that. And they're like, oh, how do you know where all this stuff is? And he's like, I got a job here. <laughs> no, I, I did infiltrate it and got a job. And it's like... How did that fucking interview go? <laughs> like, that, I mean, obviously not high standards. This is like a high security uh, research facility and some fucking Austrian oak just wanders up. A guy who speaks in a monotone and moves kind of like stiffly and you gave him a job in a high security facility. And what was he doing? I'd like to think that maybe he went in the mail room. <laughs> Susan, you'll have some mail. <laughs> He maybe worked as a doorman and just opened it and said, get out. <laughs> but that's bizarre, right? That right. the Terminator would like get a job that he filled out, got some fake ID, would take a lunch pail to work, you know, would sit there and just fucking like eat a sandwich that he's made. But he'd have that rundown on all these co-workers, like Susan, <laughs> yeah. birthday today. Yeah, yeah. Loves back, back to Adelaide Crows. <laughs> Susan, did you see The Bachelor last night? (laughs) What is with Osher's hair? (laughs) Live tweeting from his Terminator machine. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. All right, uh, we can uh, wind this up. uh, We're getting towards the hour. It's 55 minutes. So we can... uh, because we, you know, we should save some... Save save some juice for fucking... For for the live show. This was the warm-up. Yeah. Yeah, I'm feeling like I've, I've, I've blown it all. <laughs> I've got nothing left, man. You're going to have to carry me through this. I uh, watched On the Plane 
a couple of movies. I watched a rewatched Pitch Perfect two. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I did not enjoy it at the movies. There's a bit of racism and some stuff in there that I didn't think, and I didn't think that songs were as good as the original film. But watching it again on a plane, I enjoyed it, and it's nice because you can rewind the songs and, and watch them. Yep, and yep. I love Anna Kendrick, as you know. Yeah. Um. So uh, that was good, and I watched Spy. Have you seen? Yes, that? Spy. No? I like Spy. Yeah. I actually thought they completely missold that film. Because I didn't want to see it based on the trailer because I'm like, oh, I don't want to see like Paul Blart is a secret agent because that's the Paul way. Blart's spy cop. Yeah, because that's kind of the way it was just like Melissa McCarthy falls over yeah. and walks into things a lot. And she's a really like gifted comedic actress. But- he, uh, I think she's fantastic. Like I really, she makes me laugh a lot. And I think that she can, I went and saw that Sandra Bullock movie she was in and she was just like, it was really funny. Like she's and that's just, the same director, right? Paul Fag. Yeah, Paul Fag or Feig or Did whatever. Did you, you call him? What you call I him? I don't know. <laughs> Paul Fag. <laughs> Feig. <laughs> Who's Feig. 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 Whatever. Feig. Uh, F-I-E-G. Paul Feig. F-E-I-G. Is it? I thought it was F-I-E-G. You say Feig, I say Feig. Let's call it the whole We say the same thing. Yeah. You say tomato, I say tomato. Hey, we got that sorted out. The original same couple. <laughs> Two guys with similar interests move into a house and agree on most things. Most things. <laughs> Come for the agreements. Stay for the unity. On a cliffhanger. Cliffhanger every year. One thing they disagree on. Um, Spy. Spy. Uh the only movie I didn't really enjoy her in was that one with uh, Jason Bateman, with the identity thief yeah. or whatever. I don't know what it was Fuck, called. You but... see a, I guess you travel so much. Is that yeah. where you see a lot of these films? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, I did not uh, – because she started at that full mean thing that she does and it's too much. Oh, sorry, in the, in, uh, the Bateman Whatever film. the identity yeah. thief one was. Right. Um, that's her character. It's that, you know, when she's at her most full on and she's coming up with those analogies and metaphors for like, I mean, she's <laughs> fucking hilarious. But it was like one of those people who didn't understand that like that's only great if it's like contrasted with some other bits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to build to it. Right. You know, the whole piece of classical music that right, runs for 15 minutes isn't yeah. like over and over. Like you've got to have like nuance to that performance. And that's what I loved about this because yeah. the first half, she's really just the kind of, you know, like real sort of timid, goofy, goofy. Yeah. You know, and then she just gets to unleash in the second half. You know oh, she's funny. What's good about it is, like, and I'll give you an example of when it's done badly. But what you could, I could tell what they did in this film is the director and the actor obviously have such a good relationship that they obviously they'll probably do a couple of takes as scripted, and then she gets to play around right. and come up with some stuff. Yeah, have some fun. But it's quite disciplined. Like you don't feel like it's just, oh, she's so funny, we can just keep rolling and everything be gold. You compare that with a film I detested. Anchorman 2. No, I, like, <laughs> I actually like Anchorman 2. But I think the worst example I've seen is A Million Ways to Die in the West. Oh, yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah, I have. And look, it took me Seth, three goes, Seth MacFarlane, you know, like I like some of his stuff. I've enjoyed episodes of Family Guy and stuff. But I don't find him. I don't want to see him. I don't want to... I don't find him entertaining or interesting. And well, that- all the bits of him in that movie are the bits that actually just should be in the script because his, his role in that movie is the premise. What if a guy from out of time yeah. like had a perspective on what it was like to live in the West? But that actually should just be the author's voice in the script. Yeah. Like the script should be through the prism of a modern take on what it's like to be yeah. in old Western not times. Self, not the character. You don't actually need the sure. character to be the person there going, yeah. I am the thing that the script actually should be. I am the author's voice, but seeing that I'm the author, I've decided to write the author's voice into my own role in the film. It makes no sense. But this it's so- like if Chuck if, no, it was Chuck Palahniuk? No, that no, was, wasn't who I was going to yeah. say, though. Uh, Charlie Kaufman. It was like oh, yeah. if Charlie Kaufman was just in his movies yeah, yeah, yeah. explaining what was going 100%. on. <laughs> but it wasn't only that, but it's like this, there'd be these static scenes where he's on screen with Charlize Theron or Giovanni Ribisi and he's riffing. Like, it's like, you know, that guy's so scary, I'd shit my pants and da-da-da. That guy's so scary. And it's just like, 
A, there's no dramatic movement to this scene. Right. They're just, it's they're, so you're, indulgent. Are, you were well, just riffing and you're relying on the fact that people find you so funny and your riffs, like you're saying Melissa McCarthy's hilarious when right. she gets on a tear. I don't think Seth MacFarlane is as, as funny, nor does he have the acting chops. Well, for, uh, for example, here's, and here's what I'd say it is. And I'm very much a comedian from the school of, like, particularly when I do something like set list or whatever, all my ideas come out. Like, it's literally like you get them all and you just have to choose which ones you like. But... Seth MacFarlane sometimes feels like it's all your drafts. Yeah. Like he's the joke. Like you should have just gone through these six jokes and found the one that you like the most. Actually make a choice on which the best one is and leave that one in. Because sometimes just because you wrote five, five other jokes. good jokes yeah. doesn't mean that it'll actually improve the scene to yeah. see all those five jokes. Yeah. Sometimes the truth of it is that it's better to tell one good joke that sums up the thing rather than five other examples of what that joke could have been if it yeah. was a different draft. And it is a bit of a comedy. Whereas with Melissa McCarthy, when they get it right, is every beat is the same joke, but it's such a different fucking twist to yeah, that or joke. Or escalates. Or escalation or just like the way that it's literally the use of language and the image yeah. that it conveys like elevates it to a place that it actually is a new and different joke and you're glad that you heard it. Yeah. Yeah, there's, I've definitely noticed a trend in comedy now, which is if you watch like even like Amy Schumer show or any of these kind of really good comedies where they get good comedic actors and comedians on, there is that sense of, okay, we're going to do one take as scripted and then we're going to let you just go. And I think it works sometimes, but it just requires such a disciplined hand. Like sometimes I think it's better to see the best joke that was used and then in the credits – see all the alternates or release a DVD and have all the outtakes. And that's when you really enjoy it because it's not interrupting I think the flow of the you're film. absolutely right. They do it a little bit on John Oliver like that. Sometimes they'll have a scene in a bar where clearly, you know, they've got He's two comedians and yeah. they're just like riff and they've used the two lines or three lines or four lines or whatever it is in the show. But then over the credits, you get those same two people doing like the alternates. 12 of yeah. those same it's lines. Like the hidden track. It's brilliant. Yeah. But that's how it should be. Yeah. It shouldn't yeah. be there mixed in with the other stuff. Yeah. So it, it's leftovers. Yeah. It, you know what it is? Like, it's, it's the difference between eating all that extra shit like in the same meal and then suddenly at the end of it you feel bloated and you don't actually appreciate the flavour or the thing because you had so much of it that you like yeah. enjoyed it. Or waking up the next day and realising there's a bit of that thing that you had the right amount of the night before for leftovers. <laughs> That's what that is. So it's leftovers. Take note, Hollywood. We've just solved your comedy problems <laughs> like that. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. 